This tape is the first in a set of six tapes on marriage. While the other messages were giving in preaching sessions, this particular tape I'm doing specifically to get this set started. I hope you'll listen to this one all the way through, and then I hope you'll listen to the rest of the tapes as well. Marriages are in trouble today in so many, many families. And there are different reasons for that, but there are three basic reasons that I want you to think about with me. And it's some of those reasons that we want to address in this tape. First of all, folks don't have strong convictions today about the sanctity, the holiness, the permanence of marriage. Marriages continue to end in record numbers, and unfortunately too often those who are getting divorced are Christians. And we need to understand God's view of marriage, and we want to do that on this tape. Secondly, people are discouraged. They're often discouraged because their marriage didn't turn out the way they thought it would or the way they thought it should. In fact, I suppose most people, if you talk to them, would say that their marriage turned out quite differently than they really expected. Somebody once said that when a lady gets married, she gets married hoping her husband will change. A man gets married hoping his wife will not change. And the fact is, uh, the ladies do change, and often the men don't change, and pretty soon you get down the road a bit in the marriage, and things just aren't going well. So folks need to be encouraged. Thirdly, a lot of folks have lost hope. They feel like there's no chance that things are ever going to be different, that they're locked into a marital relationship where there's a lot of hurt and heartache, and uh, they need hope. And I'm glad that God's Word gives us hope. If you're married today, you can be sure that God wants your marriage to work. God wants your marriage to last. And, of course, it is God who, through his word, can give us the answers we need to get our marriages to be what they ought to be. If you have your Bible, I want you to open with me to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Malachi is the last messenger of God to his people during the Old Testament times. You'll remember that the people of Israel went into captivity. The northern kingdom went into captivity to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, often called Judah, went into captivity to the Babylonians. After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, uh, the people were allowed to come back to the land. They came back under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. When they got back in the land, there was every reason to believe that they would have a great heart for God, that they would serve the Lord. You would think they would want to serve Him finally back in their land, but the simple fact was they had little heart for God. And God sends them three messengers, three prophets, and they are Zechariah, and Haggai, and Malachi. And these messengers were sent to try to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord, to respond to Him and obey Him and submit to Him. Well, again, the last messenger is Malachi. And it's in the book of Malachi that we want to read and study today. Because one of the problems was that as the people came back into the land, they had little regard for marriage. The believers, the people of God, were marrying unbelievers. And often, the people of God were getting divorced. And Malachi was addressing those things. If you have your Bible open, I hope you do, 
I want to read beginning in Malachi chapter 2 and beginning in verse 11. It says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time on this particular issue at this point. But here God was letting the people of Israel know how unhappy he was with them because they had, as it's described in this verse, profaned the holiness of the Lord. And what had happened was simply this, that the believer was marrying the unbeliever. The last part of the verse said that Judah had married the daughter of a strange God. And God was not pleased with that. God would not be pleased with that today if a Christian would marry one who was not a Christian. Verse 12 goes on and says, The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. In other words, God said, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a master in Israel, a scholar in Israel, or even a priest. If you marry the unbeliever, you are going to be cut off from what is called here the tabernacles of Jacob. That's a reference to the, the blessings that God has for his people. God simply said, if you as a believer marry an unbeliever, then you're going to lose the blessing that I would have for you otherwise. And then in verse 13 it says, And this have ye done again. In other words, God had said in verse 11 that Judah profaned the holiness of the Lord. And now in verse 13 he says, This have you done again. In other words, he says here's a second time or a second way that Judah profaned the holiness of the Lord. Now, By the way, the term profane means to cross a line, to violate holy ground. And that's what was happening here with marriage. These people were violating the holy ground of marriage by believer marrying the unbeliever. And now in verse 13, they were doing it again. But what verse 13 is talking about is the matter of the broken marriage. Verse 13 says, This have ye done again. You have again profaned the holiness of the Lord, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. You know, there are times in the Bible when God comes to his people and says, I don't want your offerings anymore. I'm not going to accept them anymore because you are ignoring my word, and somehow you think you're going to be acceptable to me by doing the outward things of service when your heart isn't right. And here's one of those instances God says, look, stop bringing me your offerings. I don't want your outward service. I want your obedience. Now the issue here, again, was the issue of the broken marriage, divorce. Now listen to what it says in verse 14. And again, I hope you have your Bible open. I want you to see what it says. Verse 14 says, Yet ye say, Wherefore? In other words, the attitude of these people toward Malachi and ultimately toward God was, well, what's the big deal? What's the problem? Why is this such a big deal? And then Malachi is going to answer that question. Yet ye say, wherefore? And here's the answer. Because the Lord hath been witness between thee 
and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. What's Malachi's response to the indifference of the people of Judah concerning marriage? Here's what Malachi says. The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. I want you to think back to the time you got married. Now I realize that sometimes uh, marriage vows are just a little bit different in one instance than they are from another. Sometimes a pastor will write vows that he wants to use in his service. Sometimes people write their own vows. But you know, generally there are some thoughts, some ideas that are included in marriage vows. Often things like this are said, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Now you may or may not have said those exact words, but probably when you got married you made some similar statements. But I want you to think through those phrases. I want you to think through what happened when you got married and what happens to every couple when they get married. You see, when you make the statement for better or for worse, what you're really doing is this. You are setting up some extremes. You're saying this, I'm getting married. When I get married, it may be for better. It may be a great marriage. We might have a great relationship. Everything may go wonderfully. But then you also say, or worse. In other words, you say, I'm getting married and I think it's going to be better and I hope it's going to be better. I hope it's going to be wonderful. But I realize it may not be. This marriage may not turn out to be what I thought it would be. My husband may not turn out to be the man that I want him to be. My wife may not turn out to be the lady that I want her to be. But I'm getting married for better, that's one extreme, or worse, that's the other extreme. Then we often use the little phrase for richer or for poorer. And I've often said to folks, we all know what we thought when we got married. We thought, oh boy, we're going to be successful and we're going to be prosperous and things are going to get better and better and pretty soon we're going to have all the money that we need. And Well, sometimes it doesn't go that way. But when you get married, you're supposed to recognize that. You're supposed to understand, hey, I'm getting married and I realize it might be for richer. We may be very well off, but I also realize we could end up in poverty. But whether it be richer or poorer, I'm getting married. The third thing we often include is this idea of sickness or health. Now, I want to tell you that's a challenge. Because again, generally when we get married, we are physically healthy and we're anticipating a long life and we're anticipating good health and sometimes it doesn't end up that way. I've often told the story of a couple that we met out in Ohio. They were at a church where we were having meetings and the pastor asked if I would mind if this couple gave a testimony. And I said no. Shortly I saw these folks at the back of the church there was the lady in the wheelchair and there was a man standing behind her and he pushed her up to the front of the church and began to give his testimony. Well, needless to say, when they got married, she wasn't in a wheelchair. 
And when they first got married, they were saved, as I recall, but not really living for the Lord. And then her body was struck with illness. And now there she was in a wheelchair. And I won't go on and give all the detail of their story, but it was quite a story. How that God had turned their hearts back to Him. And how this man was devoted to his wife. Spent three hours every morning getting her up and getting her dressed and preparing her for the day. Going off to work, leaving her there to somewhat fend for herself. And yet unable to feed herself, unable to use her hands. She would have to basically let her face fall into the food and eat the best she could. He told how she read the Bible every day, but he said she had to turn the pages of the Bible with her tongue in order to read the Scriptures. Well, as I listened to them that day, and as I've reflected on their story many times, it has brought me back to the marriage vows in sickness or in health. And of course, their story could be multiplied hundreds and hundreds of times as people have gotten married and one party or sometimes both have ended up with heart problems or cancer or whatever it might be. But those problems did not destroy their marriage. Now listen to it again. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health, extremes might be for better, but it might be for worse. Might be for richer, might be for poorer. Might be sickness, might be health. But then we seal those vows. And even before I say the seal of those vows, you know what it is. Till death do us part. Or sometimes it is said this way, as long as we both shall live. Now there's the seal. In other words, somebody when they enter into marriage are supposed to understand this. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I am marrying this person. I am making a commitment to this person. And the commitment is a lifetime commitment. Now sometimes people when they talk about marriage and divorce in the Bible try to bring up the exception clause in the Gospel of Matthew. They try to bring up some other things. Often there's a text in 1 Corinthians 7 that is brought up. You know, I've examined those passages, and I want you to know that the heart of God and the teaching of the Word of God is that marriage is to be a one-man, one-woman relationship that lasts for a lifetime. That's the intent of God. That's the plan of God. That is the will of God. And while sometimes people will not accept that, I've often said to folks this, was there any exception clause in your vows? Did you say for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, unless, unless he does that, unless she does that, unless this happens, unless that happens, because if that happens, then I'm out of here. Was there any of that in your marriage vows and commitment? Or did you say when you got married, till death do us part. Now listen as the text goes on. It says, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Thy companion. When you got married, your wife, or if you're a lady, your husband became your companion. That term is elsewhere translated knit together. 
The idea is grown together. It's not simply stuck together, not simply attached, glued. The idea is that you grow together into one. Again, the best illustration I know of that comes from a young lady friend of our family who got a very serious cut on her hand. And again, without going into all the detail, the, the cut and the damage was so bad that the only way the doctors knew to bring about healing was to actually sew together her thumb and finger. Once they were sewn together, that thumb and finger actually began to grow together, knitting together through growth. And eventually there had to be a surgical procedure to separate that thumb and finger. But they actually began to grow into one. Now that's what happens when you get married. You're not simply stuck together or glued together. You are knit together in the sense of that kind of unity of growth. You become one. It would be just like somebody tearing your arm away from your shoulder. That kind of separation is what happens when somebody gets divorced. It is a tearing apart of that one flesh that God created at marriage. And then it goes on and says in verse 14 that this lady is not only the companion, but she is also the wife of thy covenant. Marriage, folks, is a covenant relationship. It's not simply a contract. When people sign contracts, they usually sign the contract to protect themselves. A contract basically says, okay, I have to do this and this and this, but I'll only do my part if you do your part. And if you don't do your part, I don't have to do my part. Now listen, the covenant relationship is this. I am entering into a covenant. I will do my part. Me doing my part will not be dependent on the other person doing his part or her part. I will do what I covenant to do. You see, one of the reasons marriages get in trouble is because people stop doing what they should be doing because the other person stops doing what they should be doing. And pretty soon we get into the situation of, well, I'm not going to do my part because he or she won't do their part, and therefore uh, I'm not going to try because they don't try, and they've hurt me, so now I can hurt them. And we forget that marriage is a covenant. When you got married, you made certain commitments, and those commitments are to be followed through for a lifetime and cannot be dependent on whether your spouse perfectly fulfills his or her responsibility. Verse 15 goes on and says, And did not he make one? A reminder again, when you got married, hey, the preacher might have been there, other people might have been there, witnessing, observing, celebrating, but God was the witness and the marriage was, in fact, a work of God. Preachers don't really perform marriages. Even the civil judges don't perform marriages. God performs the marriage. It is God who takes two, and God makes the two one. That's what happened when you got married. Did not he make one? Verse 15 goes on and says, Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And that means that your marriage 
is marked by the Spirit of God. Your marriage is a work of the Spirit of God. And then it says, and wherefore one? Why did God make one? Why did God ordain marriage? What is marriage all about? Well, a great part of marriage is the bringing forth of children. Now, I know that sometimes folks get married and they cannot have children. And if that's you by chance, and sometimes that fact enters into the, the troubles of marriage. But if you're married and you cannot have children, then you need to realize there's a special reason for that. There's a special purpose that God has for your life and my marriage, and you need to look for it. You need to say, Lord, why is it that we have not been able to have children? There is a reason. Find out what it is. Beg God to show you. He has a particular purpose for your life without children. Because generally the plan of God is for a couple to get married and have children. And that's what the text goes on to say. Verse 15 says, And wherefore one, here's the answer, that he might seek a godly seed. There's the plan of God. A man and woman get married in the name of Jesus Christ, According to God's plan and will, they have children, and the intent is that there might be a godly seed, that children are to grow up and love the Lord and serve the Lord. And that could take us off into another direction today because of what's happening with so many children growing up. But I want you to get hold of this as God's plan and purpose for marriage. I want folks to develop stronger convictions about marriage. Marriage is holy ground. Marriage is something that God instituted, God started it, God ordained it. God makes it happen. God works the supernatural work of taking two and making them one. God's plan is that two become married and they bring forth children who are raised up to love and serve God. Now the text says this, Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Take heed to your spirit. Your spirit is the deepest part of you. And many times when folks are trying to end a marriage, they're acting in the realm of emotion. There is anger, there is hurt, but that's not the deepest part of their being. People can get upset, people can say things and do things, but listen, deep inside, in the very depths of your being, you know, and I know, that marriage is supposed to last a lifetime. God says, take heed to your spirit. Verse 16 goes on, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, that he hateth putting away. Now the term putting away means divorce. I want to clarify very quickly. God doesn't hate people who are divorced. God doesn't hate you if by chance you've been divorced. But God hates divorce. God hates what it does to people. God hates what it does to marriages. God hates what it does to children, God hates divorce. Now again, I want to emphasize, God doesn't hate people who are divorced. 
And I know that many times people have heard this text and other texts and they've heard messages about marriage and about divorce and they've gone away very, very offended. Sometimes they feel like, well, if I've been divorced, am I now a second-class Christian? Is there any place of God being able to ever bless me? And if I'm in a second marriage, could God ever help me and bless me? And I want you to know you and I serve a God of grace. You and I serve a God of mercy. And I can say to you that God will meet you where you are. Now, if you've been divorced and are contemplating another marriage, I would encourage you, don't do it. Don't do it. Meet God where you are and let God bless you, but submit yourself to the Word of God where you are. If you're in a second marriage or even in a third marriage, the thing to do is turn your heart to God. Say, God, meet me where I am. Help me to be the best person, the best Christian, the best spouse I can be where I am. God is very gracious. But at the same time, let's not allow our circumstances to change our convictions that ought to be founded on the Word of God when it comes to God's plan and God's intent for marriage. What God wants is one man and one woman to be married for the rest of their lives. Now unfortunately, too many times today, people enter into marriage without proper preparation, without having a proper heart before God. Sometimes young people get married in disobedience to their parents. Sometimes people get married and they don't think carefully about what the Bible says. And then they get in the marriage and look back and say, well, I didn't know and I didn't plan and I didn't prepare. But you did get married. And so God's Word makes it clear. He hateth putting away. God hates divorce. I don't know of anything more destructive to a family than divorce. My parents were divorced. Both of my brothers were divorced. My sister was divorced. And I've seen the heartache and the heartbreak that has accompanied that in their own lives and in the lives of their children. And I can tell you, God doesn't want divorce for you. Strengthen your conviction. Base your conviction on the Word of God. Now let me go on to verse 17. Verse 17 of Malachi 2 says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? So Malachi comes to these people and says, You know, God's getting weary with your talk. And the people come back and say, Well, why have we wearied God? And then Malachi goes on, When ye say, Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Malachi says, I'll tell you how you weary God when people do evil and you say it's good. Well, I want to tell you, we live in that day when it comes to this whole issue of family and marriage and divorce. There are people in the pew and there are preachers who are giving the okay and they're assenting to mar or marriage and then assenting to divorce that would follow. They're saying it's okay. I know of some fundamental Bible-believing preachers who are actually counseling people to go and get divorced. And I want to tell you something. We are calling evil good, and it is breaking the heart of God. It goes on and says this, or where is the God of judgment? Now, some people look at folks who are divorced and remarried, and they say, well, you know, God's blessing them, so it couldn't have been that bad. Aren't you glad that God doesn't bring judgment 
direct judgment on us every time that we do something wrong. I'm glad of that. And it is a very dangerous thing to assume that something is okay if God has not brought a direct judgment on people when they do wrong. Well, listen, if that happened, there would be no Christian still alive on the face of the earth. I wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be here. Thankfully, God, again, is a God of mercy and a God of grace, and God doesn't deal that way. But never let your convictions be based on what you seem to think God is doing or not doing. Our convictions have to be based on the Word of God. Now, let's back up a little bit. Because, again, I realize that different people in different situations are going to listen to this tape. And you and I need to realize that our convictions have to be firm. And yet when we deal with people, we have to be tender. We have to be loving. Now our problem is that sometimes because we are tender toward people, in other words, we see hurting people. We see people in a marriage and we see the hurt and the heartache. Well, sometimes when we see that, we allow a compromise in our convictions. We look at people and we wonder, how did they ever get into that marriage? Oh, it would be so wonderful if they could get out of that marriage. And we let our convictions fall because we are tender toward people and tender toward their hurt. So we need to take a very, very careful look at that. And we want to move on and talk about encouragement and we want to talk about hope. Lots of people need encouragement today. If I was to sit down and talk personally with you and I said to you, has your marriage turned out exactly the way you thought it would? I suppose if you were honest you'd say, well no, not exactly the way I thought it would. Sometimes we get discouraged. We get discouraged because we have expectations for our mate. We think he ought to act a certain way, do certain things, be there for us in special ways, or she ought to do certain things that she's not doing and we build up our expectations and we fail each other and we hurt each other and pretty soon we just get to the point of wanting to throw in the towel. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you first of all about your conviction. I want you to settle in your heart and mind that God wants your marriage to last for the rest of your life. Settle that. Accept that. Settle it before God. You see, I find when people settle that and say, hey, I'm married for the rest of my life, then they're willing to work at it. They're not going to quit because they realize they're in for a lifetime commitment. But I also find when people open the door and say, well, maybe there is a way out. Well, then they begin to look for the way out. They begin to try to justify themselves in breaking up, splitting up, leaving and heading for divorce. Strengthen your convictions. And then be encouraged. Be encouraged because God wants your marriage to work. Now sometimes people say, yeah, I suppose God wants me to be miserable for the rest of my life. I'm stuck with this person. No, that's not true. God doesn't want you to be miserable for the rest of your life. God wants your marriage to be good. God wants your marriage to be sweet. And I want to encourage you. But I want to encourage you in this way. I want you to take your eyes off your mate 
and focus them on yourself. And I want you to take some time to consider if your marriage is in trouble, if your marriage is weak, if you're struggling, I want you to take time to consider what you have done to contribute to the failure or the weakness of the marriage. Now you see, the truth is you can't change the other person. Only God can change them. But you can recognize your failure and your sin and deal with it. It might even take you to sit down and put some things on paper. And I'd encourage you to do that and be somewhat hard on yourself. What have I done to fail? What could I have done better? What should I have done? Put it all down. Take an honest look at yourself. Take a look at the things that you may have done to discourage your mate. Take a look at the things that you have done to perhaps have failed him or her. Take a look at the things that may have caused them to begin to move in a wrong direction and treat you unkindly. And then deal with those things before the Lord. You know, it's hard to come to God in prayer and ask God to help us when we are involved in sin ourselves. And so the first thing we need to do in order to appeal to God for help in strengthening our marriage is to make sure that we have faced our own sin. Acknowledge it, confess it, forsake it. Begin to do the things that you ought to do in your marriage. Look at the Word of God. If you're a man, look at the Word of God and say, in the Bible, what is this Christian husband like? How is he supposed to treat his wife? How is he supposed to act? I want to be that man. If you're a lady, the same thing. Look into the Scripture. What am I supposed to be as a Christian wife? How should I treat my husband? And then aim to be that lady. Now in the following tapes in this series, we're going to be talking about those kinds of things. We're not going to answer every question. We're not going to solve every problem. We're going to deal with biblical principle. We're going to make some biblical application. But I would challenge you to look at those things and make a judgment of yourself. Now begin to pray for your mate. Pray for your mate. Pray that as you change, your mate will see the change. Pray that God will use the changes in your life, in your attitudes, to bring conviction to your mate. But focus on the Word of God and say, Lord, show me what I should be. You know, your love for your mate can never be dependent on your mate. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, if I'm going to love my wife, in my case, I'm going to love my wife only if I think she deserves my love, well, then my love might be up and down and all around because she'll do things to fail me as I do things to fail her. And I'm glad her love for me doesn't depend on me. My love for her cannot depend on her. Love has to cover the multitude of sins. And that love is a spiritual thing. That love, as we're taught in Galatians chapter 5, is a love that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit of God. So if our marriage is based on us meeting each other's needs, on us uh, fulfilling all of one another's expectations, we're going to have a whole lot of trouble. Be encouraged today that God wants your marriage to work, God wants your marriage to get better, and God is the one who has the power to make it happen. But open your heart to Him. Say, Lord, help me to see my sin and my failure. Confess it and acknowledge it. 
and then begin to take steps to obey the Word of God and become the person that God wants you to be. And then I want you to be hopeful. People have lost hope today. They look and believe that nothing is going to change, that nothing can change. But you know, we serve the God of hope. And our hope is in Him. Your hope is in Him. I've seen God do some wonderful things in people's lives. I've seen God take marriages that had totally fallen apart, where people were on their way to divorce, and God has turned it around. And God is able to do that for you. Now again, God is not saying, okay, I want you to stay in this marriage and you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. That's not what God desires. God wants to change us. God wants to change our marriage. God wants it to be a sweet relationship. He teaches us that in the Bible. And I want you to find hope today. Certainly not in me and uh, not in this tape per se, but to find hope in the Word of God and find hope in God Himself. Now, if you will listen to this series, and again, not because it comes from Biblical Family Ministries, but because we're trying to teach the Word of God, if you'll listen to these tapes, if you'll take these things to heart, if you'll begin to put the Word of God into practice in your life, you will see the hand of God begin to move. Now, if we can help you, we certainly invite you to contact us personally. Call us, send us a letter, contact us by email. We want to be of encouragement to you. But your hope ultimately is in the Lord. And God will do the things that only God can do. He expects us to do the things that we should do. Lord bless you.